Hello and welcome to the second unit with Hello. me, Freddie, and Meg. There she Hello is. Hello again. <laughs> um, today's film uh, breaks the format ever so slightly. Usually it's a film, make a scene, and I haven't. I had watched, I think, half of this film before, and that's not a testament to its quality. I don't know why I stopped watching. I think something, something came up, never came back to it, one of those <laughs> things. Uh, but it is Muriel's Wedding, which is a 1994 film starring uh, Tony Collette in sort of the lead role. Um, very early in her career, which, you know, has obviously since taken off and she's, she's huge and, and absolutely amazing actor um but here she's just playing like a little a little social outcast and i gotta say i thought this film was great i thought i'd love it because i I remember liking the first half that i saw um but we'll get back to that and my expectations at the end as we as we go through the plot but anything to, to open us up with meg before we get into it there's a lot to unpack it's a very good to film. unpack. So there's a lot there. It's, um, okay, we'll just stop good. me as we as we go along where okay. it is relevant to your points. Um, but the film opens and um, it it sort of sets the the tone for at least the first half of the film mm. pretty perfectly. We see a bouquet flying down from the sky with like a you know that bomb whistle sound effect like. But without the, and then as it as it lands, it, uh, the soundtrack kicks into "Sugar Baby Love" by the uh, the not the Ronettes, the Rubettes. I always call them Rubettes. Uh, the Ronettes. Um, and it's just it's just over the top. It's very 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 campy. Um, and then we we see Muriel, who's caught the bouquet, and she's at this wedding where she is completely standing out because she's wearing this just hideous like uh, leopard skin dress and, and layered she's layered like leopard upon leopard upon leopard yeah With like this, there's like, there's lipstick on leopard. her teeth as well yeah like, she's got like bless her big old bright red ponytail. lipstick yeah it's it's you know it's obvious that the costume department was told make her an outcast like a like you know <laughs> ugly betty sort of thing and that's done easy um really did that totally you, you completely understand her social standing from the first scene because she she catches it and then her uh, friends big air quote around the word friends um are like mm-hmm. muriel because this is uh, it's set in australia why did you catch it you're never gonna marry anyone and then one of the other friends starts crying because they didn't catch it and they're like go oh, on muriel give her the bouquet he was like no i caught it <laughs> so and and obviously all of her friends are wearing like matching dresses because i guess they're uh all bridesmaids and yeah. one of them's the bride uh and or is one of them the bride, or are they all just bridesmaids? Yeah, I think it bride. is one of their. Uh, yeah, so they're all matching, and you can see that obviously Tony Collette uh, Muriel has been left out of at least that. So already setting up just through interactions and and um, 
costume that she is an outcast in this group of big air quote around the word friends you get the idea it's the only people in her life that she is close to and they're just no good for her (laughs) yeah they're at someone else's wedding and she's standing out in this dress um and the other guy the other girls are all arguing with her and it's really made her stand out and then this dress sort of comes back into the forefront of the plot because then she gets she has to leave this wedding because the police show up and put her in the back of their police car because someone there says I work at a shop and she stole that dress and I don't think it's ever explicitly said whether she did I'm fairly sure she did she stole the dress she stole the dress because it's like she's got this little rebellious streak and it all sort of goes away because her dad's like a like a sort of not an aspiring politician more like a failed politician um and he sort of gives the police guys a a case of beer and just lets them go on their way the muriel line about the dress is it sets up the film pretty well muriel's problem is that she lies all the time about everything yes and there's no one really likable in this film which is why it's so weird because even our protagonist muriel constantly like steps over people in order to make herself happy like her friend wonder and things like that so yeah she lied about the dress because she was just muriel I love the sister. She's like, you're terrible, Muriel. You're terrible, Muriel. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you think the sister that says that looks like Chad from Cold Ones? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) The whole film, I was like, God, you you really remind me of someone. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. It's Chad. Uh, You're terrible, Muriel. Um, But, yeah, so she has stolen the chest. You're right, that does feed into a whole sort of compulsive liar thievery as well yes yes thievery because that comes back in a big way sort of as the inciting incident but yeah it's it's very well set up all the themes all the characters not Mm. all the characters but all the characters need that at this point um in just a very interesting and very funny way it's a very funny opening and the the film is very funny up to a point but we'll 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 get there um so after this whole police thing and her leaving the wedding her friends sort of sort of break up with her (laughs) they they go to a restaurant and sort of sit her down and and say (laughs) they say like the thing is muriel we're mental we get up to lots of fun and she's like yeah we are mental and they're like no you don't understand we're mental and they sort of say you can't hang out with us anymore and she then finds out that all these girls are going on holiday without her as well and it's just it's a really it's a hard scene to watch and especially because then screaming her eyes out crying yeah she starts really crying and it's (laughs) That's before they tell her. One of her friends is like, "Let her finish her drink first, and then she's just sitting there, just <laughs> sucking it down, and no one's saying a word." <laughs> it's just hard to watch, and you know exactly what's coming because it's just how terrible they are and how weird she. Like she is weird, but 
Yeah, like her friends are much meaner than she is weird. We um at uni we did this course called Laughing Matters together, and one of these things that our tutor said was like, oh, some people theorize that laughing laughing is a way to tell someone to fit back in socially. Like we yes. laugh at people acting out of norm, and oh my mm. god, it's so uncomfortable to watch Muriel at all times. Yeah, yeah. Like, she just does not... It's, I don't know if it's any fault of her own, but she's not, like, all there. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, she's incredibly Absolutely. slow with everything she does. The way she speaks, the way she puts the dots together. You can see her mental process, but it always takes about five seconds too long, and you're like, just do <laughs> something. Yeah. <laughs> Anything. It is brilliantly acted. Yeah, she's amazing. Like, just that, that subtle level of... Just idiocy. Like yeah. She's not full on, you know, like absolute buffoon, but you just know that <laughs> she's just she's just not quite there. You're like, come yeah. on. Um, so yeah, her friends go on holiday without her, and she's ugly crying. And I thought, um, I've written I've written a note here, which which sort of doesn't quite hold true because I keep saying the film is funny up to a point. Um, her ugly crying and really wailing is it's funny i i think it's they're going for for comedy with this whole situation and it is funny it's awkward it's cringy but that's that is where the humor's coming from and the the scene sort of cuts from this to the next one and it sort of cuts early enough that it is still funny and i wrote that um this isn't I wrote <laughs> this isn't a film about grief so the film cuts and doesn't show all this ugly crying it's more just about funny you know high school level drama these girls are out of high school where they're acting like yeah. high schoolers or secondary schools but high schoolers um but later on the film does sort of start going down that route and I think it gets a lot less funny as it goes on not bad it doesn't get worse it just gets a lot less funny yeah, um, it grows up. We grow up mm, with Muriel, which is absolutely. And I wrote like how, you know, this isn't hereditary. This isn't Tony Collette's grief in that. It's funny grief, but yeah, it does sort of. It it starts heading towards hereditary. Obviously, not anyway near as much as the sheer gut wrenching grief that is hereditary. But it edges towards it as the film goes on. You're right. She she grows up. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Um, so then she gets a job offer from, like, you know, this sort of Avon-esque pyramid scheme selling beauty cosmetics. So that's not really a job offer. That's more of just <laughs> pay just me and I might pay you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and her mum writes her a blank check for it just you know puts the name down puts it out to just for cash and so that she can go and then take out as much as she needs to buy her Avon and it's not Avon but it you know it is intensively Avon um and like you said set up with with the dress and her sort of compulsive lying she takes this blank check uh she takes out like all of her dad's cash uh, from the bank and goes on holiday to the same place that the girls are going to and 
when she's on holiday, they immediately see her there and go up and just chuck a drink over her, even though she's minding her own business, and it's just hard to watch. Um, and then she meets another friend from school, and I guess put off from that confrontation. Uh, this friend that she knew from school says, are you Muriel? And she's like, no. <laughs> um, which is always funny. And then she says, how you doing? Blah, 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 blah. And Muriel says that she is engaged. And this is, you know, sort of starting to flesh out this character a bit more. She she catches the bouquet at the start. She's very happy about that. She lies and says she's engaged. And you sort of start getting the sense that Muriel is almost only ever thinking about marriage. <laughs> and she's, like, addicted to the idea of being married. So they go on holiday. They get back from holiday. Um, and she's... She uh, gets home, gets out the taxi, and her mum says, did you take all the money out of dad's account? He's at the bank now trying to find out what's happened. What have you done? Uh... And I think that's when you get... No, it's not your first. It's not your first. You're terrible, Muriel. That's when she gets brought in by the police. That's your second. You're terrible, Muriel. From uh, Chad from Cold Ones. Um, and she's like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't take any money. What are you talking about? And then she just leaves and gets back in the taxi and <laughs> drives off. That. She's like, um, I'm going to head out. <laughs> uh, yeah, so she just... Bim was off, and it cuts, and it says Sydney, the city of brides, and now she's just living in Sydney, living her best life, and um, I think, really, she is living her best life, and that is sort of the point in the film, that um, she is going off this ideal of marriage and popularity, but this part of the film is when she is happiest and she doesn't realise that till the end of the film but this point of the film is when she's happiest and I was watching this and I thought this is a dream job she's working at a blockbuster uh, or or it's not called blockbuster it's a blockbuster um, and she's just watching videos at the counter until someone comes up and then she's got to serve a bloke and right across the street she's um, moved to Cindy, Sid, Cindy Sydney with Rhonda the friend from high school she met when she was at holiday and she's working right across the road uh, dry cleaners and if it's a slow day you can just ring her up chat on the phone you can go to lunch with her every day in your lunch break looks great and mm. then she gets asked out by a bloke which you can tell has never happened to her before and she's like ecstatic about the whole thing it's it's the high point of the film you know it's the and middle of and also uh... never asked anyone out either <laughs> yeah clearly yeah, there's both very suited yeah um and you know if if this film went on for another half hour or something not that it needs to I don't think it should I, I like to think she'd uh, come back find this guy and you know try again with him because he was at the wedding wasn't he at the end but we'll, we'll, we'll get yeah. to Muriel's wedding spoiler Muriel has a wedding Muriel's wedding There's and no it's not to this guy <laughs> Maybe not. Um, but yeah, I thought that job looked great. And I've worked retail, and retail's boring. It's really mind-numbing. But if you work at a blockbuster and they got a little video player, just chunk one in and... Pff, there's your day. How Tarantino started. 
He did, didn't he? What a guy. Rumour has it. Rumour has it. Um, so then they go on a date with uh, her, Muriel, Rhonda, and this bloke that's asked Muriel out or go to a club and Rhonda's um, dancing with these two American guys. And so so between the, the two of the girls, they got three blokes and they all go back to their flat. And what ensues is possibly the most chaotic scene I've seen in, in cinema, you know, outside of something like... It's on par with Buster Keaton and, you know, Laurel and Hardy. It's that level of just absurd knocking something into something over something else. and But to this whole sort of adult level that I don't think I've quite seen before so that's a great bit the best bit in this whole sort of chaotic series of events is she's got she's got these like leather jeans on with zips up the sides and this bloke's like fumbling with the zip mm. and he, he thinks he's got the zipped uh, trousers it's the zip to the beanbag that they're both lying on he unzips the beanbag so beanbag beans start going everywhere and then he tugs on the trousers because he thinks he's got them unzipped. Not unzipped. The trousers don't budge. He falls over backwards and he knocks into a birdcage, which then flies through the window. So the window's broken. Um, and there's beanbag beans flying everywhere. And Muriel's in hysterics the whole time that him and this bloke are making out. And he's trying to have a go at her trousers because clearly she's never been in a situation like this before. And she thinks the whole thing is like hilarious. She's giggling the whole time like screaming giggling because it's so she's cackling so then these two American blokes that Rhonda was sleeping with rush out of the bedroom because they think Muriel's actually you know in trouble like getting raped um and they're completely naked just you know with their dongs waggling about everywhere so Muriel's finding that even more hysterical and they tackle the guys to the ground like what do you do Muriel you're okay <laughs> and then and then the 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 scene like just it's it sort of adds to the comedy and just how absurd it is but it's it stops dead in its tracks because mm. Rhonda just comes out laughing at everything and just falls on the floor and says I can't feel my legs <laughs> and it's like what like really to like I don't know 20 seconds more of just silence and mirrors cackling starting to like slowly come down yeah she realizes oh she she can't feel her legs it's such a good setup for such a like like it's hilarious and it just snatches it from you and you're just like mirror going wait she can't feel her legs and it 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 transpires that ronda's got a a tumor like on her spine that 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 moment has well not kicked in but Mm. started affecting her um so she she goes to the hospital starts going through rehabilitation because they they operate on her spine which means that she um can't walk but she can still sort of learn to hasn't completely severed her spinal cord this is also uh, the bit that i dislike muriel the most because like like i say muriel she she's not necessarily the first half of the film the most likable person she does a quite a lot of atrocious things and has no consequences of her actions 
Um, mm, but her dad yeah. lets her get away with it. She runs away. She lies to her mum saying, I didn't steal the money, and goes and lives in Sydney. Um, so it's just quite a lot of terrible things, and she seemingly gets away with it and doesn't really care. Um, mm. But she, when Rhonda's going through rehabilitation, Rhonda's really down, and Muriel promises to never leave Rhonda, which means yes. you know fully that Muriel is going to yes. leave Rhonda. And yeah. it's, I don't know, it's just I think the selfish part of Muriel reaches its peak at this moment. Yeah. She's, she made a and... promise that she can't keep, and she knows she can't keep it because she wants to get married. Yeah. Those, those things will not go hand in hand and that's uh, she says a line to her um because also uh-huh. yeah. side note uh this uh is is the the prequel to Mamma Mia that I didn't know existed because there is so much ABBA in the soundtrack and it's Muriel's favourite band and it's just amazing amazing soundtrack um and better than Mamma Mia in a lot of ways yeah. um there's a great scene um, when they're uh, at this resort where her and Rhonda sort of first meet or second meet because they went to school together and they do Waterloo and like the sort of talent competition it is just so much fun it's such a fun scene um, Muriel says to her because Rhonda's feeling down you know feeling like a liability as you would if you were you know having just a great time living with your friend and then bam you're in a wheelchair one day you'd start to feel like this isn't... You'd feel guilty because you'd know this isn't what they thought they were getting when they moved in with me and now they have to push me about everywhere and she's feeling terrible about that. And Muriel says to her, "Um, when I was living at home, I did nothing all day. I used to just sit in my room and listen to ABBA. That's all I'd do. But since living here in Sydney with you, I haven't listened to a single ABBA track because my life is as good as Dancing Queen <laughs> which is hilarious and it's like quite sweet you know it's very sweet and it's probably like the most heartfelt thing this yeah, character's ever done. said <laughs> yeah because in her in her like slow dim-witted way it's it's the most she can express you know because whenever she is in a situation where she might actually express any sort of emotions she'll just sit there deadpan or start giggling hysterically so it's you know for this character that is like the biggest compliment she is almost able to give so it's a beautiful moment but like you said you know it's tainted because you're like I'm barely halfway through the film at this point so there's going to be some ups and downs big downs wow wow um but yeah and this is when Muriel starts developing the habit of going to wedding dress shops um again lying about being engaged and that she has set this wedding date um and then trying on a dress and them asking you know oh is your is your your mum coming to see this your sister you know is anyone going to see this dress and she'll say Oh, my mum would love to see it, but she's in hospital at the moment because I think she uses the... the She's talking about her mum as if it's Rhonda and uses that lie because little tip for you liars out there, it's always easier to lie closer to the truth. <laughs> she says my mum's in hospital because she had a tumour on her spine and she's had an operation so she can't come and see you. 
see me in this dress so the people are like oh well, we don't usually do this but we'll let you take some polaroids in the dress so your mum has to see it before the big day so she does that and she just goes round shop after shop after shop doing that and she has this big scrapbook filled with her in like all these wedding dresses all over town Rhonda's the real victim of this film yeah absolutely and and like you said there's not a lot of likeable characters uh, I think Rhonda's a likeable character possibly the only likeable character um brilliantly played by um Rachel Griffith who was in Six Feet Under have you seen Six Feet Under no it's a great well it is it is a great TV show I do like it but that is also maybe it's just Rachel Griffith I've only seen it like halfway through and I just I don't know couldn't bring myself to to finish it because it's it's about these um like a family run uh funeral home and you know how like if you're watching some sort of it's not a sitcom but if you're watching a sitcom or just you know just any telly show where it's pretty formulaic you'll have a there'll be like an episode maybe not a season but there'll there'll be an episode in there somewhere that's oh that's the sad episode like scrubs when when ben dies or or you know just like oh this is such a sad episode or uh you know like the simpsons where uh Homer's mum comes back and she leaves again at the end and he's just sitting on the car like kind of starting oh it's a sad episode every single episode of Six Feet Under is the sad episode because they work at a funeral home so someone's died every episode so every episode you've got people grieving in different ways and it's, it, is, it is a very draining show to watch and all my family say that the uh the final episode of Six Feet Under is one of the best episodes of any show ever made. I've tried twice watching this show and I've given up about the exact same spot both times. <laughs> Ugh. Muriel sees in the dating columns, you know, the, the I guess the original dating app just saying in a newspaper, I'm looking for blah, 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 I'm blah, blah, blah. Um, she sees that there is a man looking for marriage and Muriel's like, ah, brilliant and it turns out it's this olympic swimmer from johannesburg who needs to stay in australia for his career so it would just be like this sort of arranged green card marriage is what they're called in america that needs to be Um, believable yes it needs to be believable so conditions yeah such as you have to live with them for four months which you know crucially is going to like you said clash with this whole ronda needing to rely on Muriel and living together because she says I don't want to go back to (laughs) I don't want to go back to pauper spit with my mum because both her and Muriel are from a town in Australia called pauper spit which I looked up I thought I thought it's got to be a fictional place and it is a fictional place but there was a part of me that was like I hope pauper spit's real like they just picked they purposefully set this film in the town which is the worst name but no pauper spit isn't a real place unfortunately because it's hilarious um so yeah it's this olympic swimmer who needs a wife for his career so he can stay in australia and they have a they have a wedding and because he is a famous athlete it's like uh this this wedding is is a big sort of local news 
piece or uh, I don't quite get the sense of how big this story goes maybe even a national um, bit of news so there's there's cameras at this wedding and the you know big air quote friends from the start that broke up with her and they're the bridesmaids they're, they're the bridesmaids they come back to her she doesn't even ask them they come back to her and say can we be bridesmaids and she's like sure because she did ask Rhonda and Rhonda said no because Rhonda's not happy with Muriel because she's obviously leaving living with her to go and live with this bloke which means that she has to go and live with her mum which is what she promised would never happen um, and it's hilarious the wedding because you can see that Muriel is the only person who is happy maybe and yeah. maybe the the guy's coach oh the guy's coach is elated because he's sort of he's like you know, manufactured this whole situation yeah. um so that his you know number one athlete can stay in the country um but she the guy she's great. getting married to yes she she did but the guy she's getting married to is like sweating the whole time oh, and yeah. saying oh this is a mistake this is a mistake he's so unhappy about the whole thing um he hates every second and there's the shot of her going up the aisle and she's got this great big uh, beaming smile everyone's looking at her like what are you doing you've only known this guy for like I don't know a couple of weeks maybe Mm. Um, and it is just funny how she is the only person there having a good time and she's still so sort of like you said self-obsessed and disconnected with the whole thing because like everything she goes for in this film feels so hollow because it's what she wants but it's not what makes her happiest there's a real disconnect with oh what she needs or what she needs she She doesn't need to get married she wants to get married she wants to be popular and this is the scene where she's got a great big smile on her face because she's getting married and her popular friends have come back and asked she didn't ask them to be her bridesmaids. They've asked her if they can be her bridesmaids. So it's like the happiest day, but it it doesn't sort of it's last. It's got the saddest moment, I think, of the entire film. When, like, Muriel's walking down the aisle after she's got married and her dad hugs her, everyone's hugging her. And she just walks past her mum and her mum has, like, oh. gone through all of this stuff. So... During the time that we've been watching Muriel live her life, we've seen clippets of what her family's going through. And that MLM woman, there was a joke at the beginning that every time they went out to this Chinese restaurant, Muriel's dad would be like, oh, what a coincidence, Diane, nice to see you. And she'll come and sit herself in the center of this family. And Muriel's mum is aware of the rumours that they're having an affair, but she's also incredibly naive, hence why Muriel takes advantage of her, which is why I say... And she's even more spaced out than Muriel. Yeah, this is why I say Muriel's not the most likeable character, because she fully takes advantage of her mum's spaced out uh, state. And um, it's just so sad. So she's been through all of this. Her husband has decided to leave her for this second woman she's got to look after these layabout kids because all of them are atrocious <laughs> except for maybe Janine who's the sister who's like slightly redeemable because she's self-aware uh, yeah like with her you're terrible Muriel is that one you're terrible Muriel uh, and she's always by her mum's side so she's slightly more redeemable yeah but um so this this poor mum's been through all of this and then she wants to see her sister her sister her daughter get married 
And she just is completely blindsided. Muriel doesn't even acknowledge her existence. She acknowledges Rhonda's existence there more than she does her own mother's. And it's mm. um, it's really sad. You just watch this woman's face fall and you're like, oh, right in the fills. Yeah, and about sort of Ugh. 10 minutes of runtime after that, Muriel's mum kills herself because yeah. her dad's gone off with this other woman sort of more officially at this point and Muriel's not around and her kids are just just doing nothing to help out in any way Uh, so the the sister that says you're terrible Muriel finds her uh, in bed with a bottle of sleeping pills and this I think is where I said the film takes a turn It, it changes from like a real sort of laugh out loud comedy because there are real laugh out loud moments um and also sort of like a like a cringe comedy um to this very heartfelt tale of of yeah want and need and the clash between the two and family drama muriel gets married she goes home with the guy that she's with yeah this is relevant um and he's like, what sort of person would marry a person that they've just met? And she was like, mm. yeah, what sort of person would do that? <laughs> like, right back at you, isn't she? Yeah. Um, and and he says, he says, because I want to win. She says, me too, because this yeah. is her goal that she set herself. Get married, be popular. She is now married and popular. And they, they have this sort of little, like, mutual respect of each other, I think, then, when they Yeah, with say. that line, he gets... He's yeah, like, it's a okay, little bond. I now understand this woman. And I think the moment Muriel grows up is after her mum's killed herself, she goes back to the house, and Diane, who's just abysmal, is like, your mum sacrificed mm. herself to save your dad's career. No oh, one's going to yeah. ask him tough questions because now his wife is dead and she did the right thing she's no longer useless she did something with her life by dying yeah and like everyone's just like shut awful, up Diana. Isn't it? she's yeah. awful i think i think what the moment is where muriel has this sort of 180 is it's her mother's funeral and yeah. the priest gets up there and reads this uh letter from i think it's an ex-prime minister that yeah. says you know dear was it Hel- Helsop or something? Is that their surname? Yeah, Heslop. the Helsop. Hels- Heslop, yeah. And it's addressed dear to the dad. Heslop family. It's addressed to the dad. Dear Heslop dad. You know, whatever his name is. And Bill, I think. Dear Bill Heslop and family. So sorry to hear about your uh, family, your, your loss and whatnot. And the dad leans over to the brother and says, watch these reporters. And it says, from blah, 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 who is the ex- Australian Prime Minister and all these reporters like start writing down and he's like that's it and that's when Muriel you know sees how despicable that is but recognises how despicable that is that at his wife's funeral he's not he's not got one shred of of guilt for cheating on her sadness that you know she's died remorse for what he's done or anything like that um, and he even says later that that's not something that's just happened you know he knew it was coming he, he mm. wrote to like the guy's office and says can I have a letter you know, it's the sort of thing you know I could probably do if I wrote to if I found Tony Blair's office or Gordon Brown just wrote and said can I have a letter for my 
funeral, they'd probably do it, wouldn't they? It's just he just manufactures this situation to advantage so he, him politically. Yeah, exactly, because he's just desperately trying to climb up this political ladder, which nothing ever comes of because he's a despicable man. But at that moment, I think she sees all the parallels between herself and her father, that he's just, uh, you know, going for something so hollow. You know, this, the funeral, the sadness that everyone's feeling is real. Mm. And what he's going for is this fake ideal that he set for himself that he's never going to reach and when Muriel sees that that is exactly what she's done sure she's succeeded she's married this Olympic swimmer who when, when she sees him you know she's utterly stunned for words because he's, he's because gorgeous. he is gorgeous and he she's like oh, oh basically blinded by his body as in those speedos when he gets out of the water he's like I'll marry you um but that's not what she needs. It's what she wants, but it's not what she needs. And that's when she sees, bam, and she knows yeah. what she's done. And she rushes out and starts crying because she's realised all the mistakes she's made. So I think I agree that that is a turning point where she's self-reflective. But I think when Muriel fully grows up is she meets the um, her husband outside. He's there for her, which is like kind of like a turning point in their relationship. Because yeah. they're not a real couple, he didn't have to go, but he did, and he's in the rain and stuff, and it's very romantic. He takes her back to a hotel, and she's crying, and he comforts her, and they do the deed. And the deed. So, I think that at this point, he might actually start to have liked Muriel, because mm. Muriel, after the, the deed, this is when she's like, I don't want to be married anymore, I want to live my life don't want to be like my father and even though they've just had this moment and he goes to kiss her in the morning and she's like cannot do that fella so yeah she's like i'm gonna leave you sorry about that she's like i'll pay you back the money which she never offered to pay back the money really uh, for her dad and he's like keep it doesn't matter um yeah he's i think happy that she's doing what she wants um yeah so she leaves him she leaves all of her dreams essentially that she had throughout the entire film just wiped away with one decision which is why I think this is when she proves that she's grown up and like as she leaves the door the camera holds on him slightly too long and like he's like I could get used to you and it's like oh he was kind of was starting to get used to her wasn't he so yeah it's kind of sad um I mean yeah Yeah. they probably would have been quite good together if that relationship had been allowed to evolve because people can fall in love by getting used to each other, you know. It has happened before, but... Yeah, um, yeah. Muriel doesn't do that, and I think it's very important that she leaves him, even though she's finally actually got a connection with this fella she's married, because it doesn't matter anymore to her. Mm. She's kind of lost most things that matter. She's never close to her dad. She was somewhat close to her mum. My yeah. mum always made excuses for her, stood up for her. Yeah. Never yeah. even scorned her for stealing all that money. No. <laughs> she didn't want to believe it either. No, and I think what she did is the right decision for Muriel. Yeah. Even though absolutely. I totally shipped them. <laughs> well, because that and she leaves her husband and then She's like, goes I don't to love Ron's you. He's house. Like, I don't love you either. I can get used to you though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she leaves her. She leaves him. Goes back to Rhonda, living with her mum, and says, 
do you want to move back to me in Sydney? Well, no, she doesn't say, do you want to move back with me to Sydney? She, she says, I'm going to Sydney. Let's go. And she's like, yeah, let's do it. Even though she, you know, hates what she's done. But she says, I left my husband. She's like, brilliant. Mira's redeemed herself. And they get the taxi and they drive off and they start saying, bye, possums bit, bye, mall, bye, beach. And it's good. It's beautiful. It's, you know, it's the ending you saw coming because it'd be, it'd be weird because it, it sets itself up so well in that you know exactly what Muriel wants but you can also see exactly what makes Muriel happiest and you know yeah. like you said the moment she promises her that she will stay in Sydney with her forever it's already been set up you know so well you know what's going to happen yeah. and then you know that she's going to end up marrying someone you know she's going to leave them but then you know because it's a film and it's it's at that point still a comedy still sort of happy you know that it's probably gonna you know do a little 180 then so you see this end coming um but i don't think it's it's lessened or dampened anything by that fact i think it is still a, a nice beautiful ending because she's what she's what makes her happy she's what makes her not need to listen to abba I think also there's a redeeming quality with Rhonda being saved from the impending doom of living in an unhappy situation because when the mum killed herself there were some telltale signs throughout the film right? she wasn't mentally well Oh yeah. she was constantly upset you know uh, uncomfortable with Diane around her husband all the time and like yeah. uh, right at the beginning it sets it because they go mum can we have a tea? And all of them are shouting at her, and she's just not hearing them <laughs> at all. She's like, oh, yeah, and she's just, like, a bit Some of an airhead. Some sort of and undiagnosed then... something or other there, isn't there? Yeah, and, like... For most of the family members, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. And, um... Muriel looks out of the window, and she sees that the lawn has been set on fire. And it's, yeah. like, for Australia, it's quite... It was quite a dark and rainy day, wasn't it? So, there's no reason yeah. for it, and... I think it was Janine said she'd waited so long for she'd waited so long for their brothers to take in the washing and mow the lawn that she just set it on fire and that's quite yeah. a big warning sign for someone yeah, who's something not coping. Is not right. And all yeah. of those warning signs were missed. And I think by um Muriel taking Rhonda away from that situation, Muriel saves Rhonda from something else, because I think that Rhonda was desperately, desperately unhappy in the situation that she was in. Yeah. Just like Muriel's mother, and I think there's a little bit of a reflection there. They're unhappy for different reasons, but mm. I don't think Rhonda would have lasted much longer living in that situation, because I mean, her mum Rhonda's mum wasn't, like, too awful she supported Rhonda leaving and being happy in the end. Stood up yes. for Rhonda when Muriel came in saying, hey, you broke my daughter's heart, what the hell are you doing, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Not in those words, but, like, paraphrasing. More or less. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, I think there's a real chance of redemption for Muriel. I mean, everything else that Muriel does is pretty much absolutely abysmal. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's good that in the last five minutes, Muriel gets that chance of redemption. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It is absolutely a redemption. Mm. And that's someone saves, because I genuinely think Rhonda 
was so it was her like imagine like your worst nightmare even like behind going to prison was going back there wasn't it yeah um, yeah i think does she say that before she even uh winds up in the wheelchair that the last thing i want is to go back to pauper spit let's yeah. never ever go back there yeah so and then just through you know sheer cosmic chance she's put in this situation where she has no choice but to go back she can't even live mm. outside of pulpa spit by herself it's like it's not ronda's new disability that's the problem with um ronda's sadness yeah or the the cause of ronda's sadness sorry not the problem no it's um it's going back to pulpa spit because Rhonda yeah. does, she's incredibly strong, isn't she? She adapts very, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, as well as one could in that situation. She, um, she, she's very strong, and like I say, all she wanted was to not be in Porker Spit, and that's her, her head on earth has just come true. Yeah. Mm. Um, I thought there was some good parallels between this and sort of like a, a Disney princess story because Enchanted are you thinking just any of them ah so <laughs> like just in, the generic Disney princess but go on in Enchanted it's literally about a princess who wants a prince and just wants a happy quiet life she sings the animals and then she gets taken out of the animated world and thrown into New York of oh, course, right, yeah, I think I've seen... I've not seen it, but I'm aware of that one, yeah. Yeah, and like, in the end, she's, like, after doing all of this weird stuff throughout the entire film and summoning birds to clean stuff, which defies the laws of physics and people don't like, um, <laughs> she she goes for the everyday average Joe with the, the daughter and, you know, becomes an adult. Sure. Similar. Parallels there. Yeah. Parallels. Yeah. Yeah, like... like... You know, you have your your ideal, what you're sort of supposed to get, your Prince Charming, and then you, you grow up and realise, that's not what I want, that's what I've been told that I want. It's sort of like a realistic way that a story like, like I think I, I wrote down Little Mermaid was, was the, was the um, one that came to my head. Uh, because so Muriel wants to be married that's what she wants yeah. she doesn't want to fall in love she wants to be married she wants to be popular she doesn't you know really want to have friends that she likes she just wants to be popular these are all hollow ideals that sure, by the end of the film she realises are hollow and that is where I think it, it has this parallel with so Little Mermaid I'll run with Little Mermaid but um, you know, I'm sure you could you could do the same with any number of Disney films. So in The Little Mermaid, The Little Mermaid, Ariel, wants to marry this guy that she doesn't really know and has never really talked to, but she's seen him. And that's her Prince Charming, or whatever. And in Muriel's wedding, her Prince Charming is this Olympic swimmer that she doesn't know she doesn't know the guy she's marrying but she just likes the look of him and she likes the idea of getting married yeah and then uh, Ariel becomes a princess by marrying this guy because he's royalty and Muriel becomes a you know not princess but the wife of an Olympian and she's on the front cover of like this bridal magazine so 
goals achieved. But what you don't think about in The Little Mermaid is because at the end, Poseidon or whatever it is, yeah, he's the he's the dad, isn't he? Um, Neptune. I mean, Neptune. The Roman Poseidon. Poseidon, but it's uh, Neptune, yeah. It's Neptune. King Neptune. King Neptune. Um, signs off on the whole thing. He's he's persuaded, turns her into a human, and they go live on land. What happens to Flounder? Yeah? Ariel's best friend, through her whole life, is just left friendless because she's just waltzed off with some bloke that she hardly knows. Flounder is Rhonda. And Rhonda is any number of people that Disney princesses just leave behind for this ideal of marriage. Because... That's true. The, the, the friendships that these Disney princesses have with their little sort of sidekick comic relief characters is always such a m- much more fleshed out relationship than the relationships they have with their love interests. And yeah. I think that's what Muriel's Wedding is sort of... Whether it knows it is or if it's intentional or not, that's sort of what it's riffing on. That's what I thought it was riffing on. Is that Rhonda's left behind because Muriel just does what she thinks she wants to do, even though she had way much more fun with Rhonda, with, with Flounder, you know? Yeah. This Muriel's wedding is basically what happens to Flounder <laughs> when Ariel marries her uh, land prince. Uh, Flounder ends up in a wheelchair and lives with his mum. <laughs> there is a slight difference, though, between Flounder and Rhonda, is that if, if getting married, because everyone deserves to be happy... There are ways and means of going about it. Even Miro's dad, if he's fallen in love with someone else, he can leave his wife and be with someone. You're not selfish for seeking out your happiness. Just do it the right way, right? Yeah. That's my scorning of him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, if, if that is genuinely... It's not, but if that was genuinely what Muriel would have needed to have been happy is to get married to this guy, fall in love with him, blah, blah, blah. Um. Mm. Flounder does support Ariel. In fact, he helps her multiple times to get what would make Ariel happy at the expense of yeah. his happiness. Flounder's a little, um, he's a little timid. He's a bit scared. He doesn't really want to venture the ocean. But Ariel does want to venture the ocean. She wants to get out of it. That's why she goes to the Sea Witch. And whilst Flounder's like, this isn't a good idea, he still goes to that Sea Witch's house because it's what make Ariel happy. And does that make Disney princesses like Ariel inherently selfish? Mm, somewhat, but she's still entitled to her happiness. And Flounder's a good friend for supporting it, and Rhonda's equally yeah. a good friend for, I mean, bringing Muriel happiness. And as Rhonda being like the only character here who's like quite lovely and sticks up for Muriel like her mother does, um, if that is what Muriel would have needed to have been happy to get married. Is mm. Rhonda unfair for stopping her doing that? That's no. my question I poised to you. No, you no, you're right. Is. If 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 that's what Muriel needed to be happy, then yeah. you're right. Then Muriel does Muriel. And we know that Muriel does Muriel. That's what she does. She's, <laughs> she's, a, does she's a she's a selfish person, but yeah. I just think that it's sort of uh you can you can look at it through the lens of 
it's a film about the characters left behind at the end of a Disney princess story. Yeah. Potentially. I agree. I was, I was saying earlier, there's that line where she says, I listen to Abba, I listen to Abba every day in Porpoise, but since living here with you, I haven't needed to listen to music because uh, every day is as good as Dancing Queen. Hilarious line. Super hot film. Blah, blah, blah. It's lovely, isn't um, it? The first thing she does after um, the first thing she does after saying that she will marry this Olympian is she goes home she she doesn't speak to Rhonda who's in her room like sleeping yeah and she goes in her room Mira goes into her room and she puts on so Abba and it's you know she's she's finally doing what she thinks she's always wanted but the first thing she does is listen to Abba which she says she hasn't needed to do because she does that when she's feeling down yeah or feeling bored or so it's it's there it's 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 telegraphed in quite a quite a clever and meaningful way yeah okay justice for flounder justice like in skyrim (laughs) death to the storm cloaks whatever that guy shouts justice Justice. Sorry about that. Muriel is constantly vying for, in a weird way, her dad's approval of her, I think. she, Even though she has a complex yeah. relationship with her dad, you know, he only really acknowledges as her as something to be proud of when she says, you look after your own kids, fella. Because he's like, Muriel, you go stay here. You go help me look after yeah. the kids. I can't yeah. do it on my own. And she's like... No, you look after them and you tell them they're not worthless. And then he yeah, kind of like yeah. just accepts it because I think that's the first time he's ever been proud of Muriel for sticking up for herself. Yeah, sure, there's the moment where she realises this isn't what you want, but I think that's the moment where she says what needs to be said and stands up for her. Because, yeah, he says you need to stay here in Porpoisepit and look after your, your siblings. And she's like, no, they're your kids. You look after you them. You do it. Yeah. And, and it's, 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 it's a, very... a really nice point. Yeah. It gives us a little glimpse into Muriel's childhood as well, doesn't it? Yeah, because she says, she says, all you've done our entire lives is say that we're all worthless and we're not worthless. So you raise these kids, you be their dad, and you tell them every day that they're not worthless and they're worth something. And guess what? Then they'll be useful members of society it sort of taps into this whole sort of self-fulfilling prophecy thing where uh, the reason her and her sister and her brother and all of them are just these unemployed people that sit in front of the telly all days because they've just grown up with their dad telling them that they're useless because they're unemployed and sit in front of the telly all day but it's this sort of cycle of of just rudeness from the dad oh and also to unpack this film isn't that kind to the Asian community, is it? Well, no, and it is done in a for couple laughs, times. But I think it's more laughs at the characters being racist than yeah. laughing at the racist joke. But it's just really oddly specific. There are three times it happens, and there's like the first two times is they're in a uh, restaurant, and they're like make a couple like comments like Charlie Chan can you give us the food and stuff like that 
Um, but mm. then at the end, when Tanya's talking about her husband, Kuth, he's got some weird surfer boy he's name. He's got some, yeah. Kuth. Um, she's like, oh yeah, he was accused of uh, raping a... Is it J- Japanese woman? Yeah, it was like a yeah, it was a tourist. A Japanese tourist, and you know he wouldn't do that because they lie or something like that. And I was like, that is a heavy thing, right there. And she says, she says, oh, he wouldn't have sex with a Japanese oh. tourist. He hates the Japanese. Oh right, yeah. So <laughs> that's the actual quote, Look, and I was like, Christ alive. I I think that's not you know. <laughs> It's saying it at all. It's not redeeming these people. It's a joke at the kind of people that they are, aren't they? Just completely dismissing a rape because of, like, using racism to validate rape. It's like... It's just... <laughs> just no, but like... It's a, it's, a, it's a horrible comment, but it is funny, and it is because you're laughing at the woman that said it, not the act itself. Yeah. No, I just think it's weird because it's really oddly specific to only the Asian community. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, like, like maybe there's there's a more of an Asian population down there. That's true. I don't know. But yeah, the like, makeup of Australia. This is why Muriel's dad is less so redeemable than <laughs> Muriel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and like I was saying, you know, if this film went on another half hour, you'd see her maybe go back and uh, go see that guy again that that she didn't see again, so she could marry her Olympian. And maybe you'd see the dad pull himself up by his bootstraps and raise his children a bit better. You don't know. You hope, but you don't know. Yeah, it's a very open ending. I I doubt that dad did, but it suggests that. Diane and his relationships have broken down because she doesn't want to raise someone else's kids. I think I like this film, but I wouldn't. It's not one of those films where I would rush to go and watch it again because I think no. people can deal with cringe comedy on various degrees, and I struggle to deal with cringe comedy. So whilst I appreciate this is an amazing film, I don't yeah. think like I would rush straight away maybe in like five or ten years time i'll be like oh it's such a good film and this person hasn't seen it let me show you it but uh yeah. i'm not gonna go and watch it tomorrow unlike jurassic park 3 which i'd watch and repeat every day <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting you say that you call it a cringe comedy because it is a cringe comedy for that right, there first is half so, so many things are cringy yeah but but and there is and it is and it do and it be like that but then, so the first half of the film... Not cringe in a bad way, cringe in a, it's meant to make you uncomfortable yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's very like successful in doing it, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, I struggle to watch that too. Um, so it's... So, so, Nat, <laughs> uh, friend of the show... Hates it. Nat, um, you watched this film with him and uh, I saw you guys the other day and yeah. spoke a bit about it. I hadn't watched it yet. Um, and Nat said he watched it with you and that said he laughed once um and you know it's it's a it's a comedy but is it a comedy because it is sort of for the first half and it looks like you know when they're when when muriel meets Rhonda at the at the holiday resort and they sort of have this this bit of back and forth with the popular girls that are also there it looks like this film is is gearing up to be some sort of hybrid 
of Mamma Mia and Mean Girls, which <laughs> yeah. would be just a phenomenal film. And it is phenomenal when it is those scenes, and it's hilarious. Uh, when they're doing Waterloo, and then the girls, uh, the, the popular yeah, girls, just start fighting. Yeah, them. Yeah, it's I great. Like I was stolen. like, oh my god, they already made Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia's a rip-off. Because, great. <laughs> Loved it. But then, the mum kills herself, and... <laughs> It it's yeah. it just takes such a turn the whole film like everything's so serious from that point, and that's like sort of you know there's another sort of third of the film to go at that point, point. and yeah. it's it's just it, it's it's hard to watch. Well, not even that point. More sort of when she gets married, and she's oh. not living with Rhonda anymore. God, yeah. Like you say, the saddest bit of the film is when she just walks per, past her mum when she's going back down the aisle, and it's. And it, it changes like from Jesus, this Mean yeah. Girls, Mamma Mia cringe comedy to this Mike Lee family kitchen sink drama. You know, it's still sort of hilarious and they're sort of all quite hilarious characters, but they're they're so fleshed out, or at least Muriel's so fleshed out as a character. And you can mm. understand... If you can understand what a character wants and what they need this well, you know it's been... It's a well-written film and because you understand that she can stop being funny and she can start being serious and like you yeah, said she grows up written, this film. and it, it's they take these comedy characters and then start making them go through something very real and it works very well yeah it's a, like you can almost pinpoint the exact moment it just sideways steps honey yeah Oof. it's like yeah. when she gets married as the that moment it suddenly becomes not funny even like you think there's going to be like some weird scene between husband and wife or something but no just yeah. that's it here's your room here's that's my it. room see ya yeah so. and they have that real talk of why do you do this I'm a winner because why do you do this because I want to win too blah, blah, blah. It's, it is just very real it's too real you know what else is too much in this film come too much split diopter in this film. Oh, yeah, I know that. That's when half convex glass that attaches in the front of the camera's main lens makes the camera nearsighted. It gives the impression of a deep focus without actually using a deep focus. We definitely didn't just have to stop and <laughs> Google this. Um, but, but yeah, th there's just... I. I, whenever I see it in films, I always think it looks bad. Because <laughs> there's just this great big blurry line down the middle. The person nearest always looks like they're made out of plastic or something because they're just like way too sharp. Yeah. Um, and just, it doesn't look good in this film. There's too much of it because any use of it is, I think is too much. Yeah, there's um, nothing like really particularly like uh, challenging with any of the shots. It's very like, yeah, like there's yeah. no really proper like the color palette is very close to daylight. It's really quite. Mm. A, it's not necessarily. I the think most, I like, think the most creative it gets is that opening shot with the bouquet coming down and yeah, it sounds like a bomb. <laughs> and they use that like three times. <laughs> but that's okay because it's not. It's it's kind of like Harry Met Sally. Harry Met Sally has beautiful shots, but the focus of it is the interactions between the characters, not necessarily its cinematics. Because yes. I met Sally had beautiful shots scattered 
throughout, didn't it? As opposed to yeah. like being consistently stunning, like uh, there would be blood or something like that. This, yeah, the other side of the spectrum had no beautiful shots, but fantastic mm. script writing. So yeah, some interesting framing. Yeah, I thought near the near the start where she's sort of hanging out with her friend group, and she's obviously the one they're trying to exclude. She's always on the edge of the shot, and there's a good shot where. Um, she's sort of lined up with her mates and she's just in the background you know she's our main character but she's barely in this conversation she's barely in the shot a bit of that but too much split to hop to when they're having a go at Muriel for the bouquet though she's centred there's two on each side isn't there whilst they're having a go at her and I love that because those two are like well the the four that are surrounding them are all in their dresses Mm. and Muriel's in this leopard print sticking out in the middle (laughs) Oh, it's it. the step beyond it's double horrible. denim, it's double like leopard print. This leopard print cardigan with this leopard print short tube dress and these beads and a side ponytail and lipstick on the teeth and, I mean, she could have just put on blue eyeshadow for the love of fix. It's the nineties, you know. <laughs> but uh, even for the nineties, that outfit is not yeah. a go. <laughs> just for um, just to sort of see if all split diopter shots are always bad. I did Google um, best split diopter shots of all time, you know, because there's a list like that for any sort of aspect of cinema. Um, And the best ones are ones where you don't realise it's a split diopter shot because they always, they always put like a big pillar or a wall in the middle um, and you don't get that big blurry line. Or if if you do, you can't really see it because it's just on one mat colour and you can't tell that they've used a split to maybe just a really uh, big lens with a with a huge depth of field. So depth uh, split diopter never really good. Bleh. There I said it. Bleh. Yeah, I'm trying to have a look if there's ever really that successful in any shots. I think there was one in um all the presidents men that kept coming up when I searched best split diopter shots of all time. Um but yeah, if it, I think if it's oh the birds, two... the birds. Oh yeah, there's the one in the birds. Yeah, the one with the birds is good. It's her in the forefront, and then in the background, it's the birds and like the whole gas station on fire. <laughs> Split diopter. The birds. I love that one. That is a good one. Oh yeah, but you see, I don't know. It just looks. It looks like she's on a green screen or something, doesn't it? Yeah, but I mean... I think it's just a bit... Yeah, I feel like you could literally just use a lens that has a deep focus and do this. That's my opinion. Or do... I think with like split diopters, you could also do a uh, focus throw, like which is where you focus focus on the foreground and then you throw it to focus on the background. I think that's a more interesting shot than having half of it covered but you can yeah. see the entire thing it's i think it's nice to tell our eyes where to look Ooh, i think That's i nice think thing. actually i've just seen quite a good one okay. um so <laughs> split yeah that, that, that is an interesting one apparently they um they artificially did a split diop shot which why would you put extra effort into making something that looks that bad. Um, but anyway, uh, so split up shots. I think they look bad. I think they look sort of cheesy and a bit hammy. Throw focus, it's more talented and cooler. Yeah, 
Exactly, and it, and it makes the film look better. Okay, what is a cheesy and hammy film, and especially quite a cheesy scene, is the original sort of heist in that first Mission Impossible film where, uh, you know, what's his name, Jean Reno's um, lowering Tom Cruise down, yeah? Yeah. In the vent. There's a split diopter shot in that scene with Jean Reno's big old close-up head. I'm sure you'll see it if you search um, Mission Impossible split up shot. And then the rat all the way down the vent that's coming up towards him that freaks him out. Oh, yeah, that's cool. I like that one. I like one. that one. I, I like mean, that one. It has this little shading of light so you can't see exactly where the screen's cracked. Mm, that you can see it a bit around his head like because there's a little obviously halo, but around his head is blurry because that's right up there but then it's sort of the vent goes from not blurry to or blurry to not blurry but I think that looks quite good because it sort of fits with the silliness of the scene doesn't it but yeah to sum up our split though up to rant Miro's wedding throw focus man throw focus man don't don't just chuck a diopter in there man split diopter yeah I used to sit in my room and listen to ABBA all day, but since I live with you, my life's as good as Dancing Queen. <laughs> I'm going to give it a... 7 out of 10. Because everything's 7 out of 10 at the end of the day, isn't it? I'm going to give it a 6. I know it's a little bit harsh, but... I appreciate it's a good film. Is it for me? In my enjoyment? Not necessarily, because I found it hard to watch, and I personally don't like watching things that are very hard for me to watch. <laughs> I think if the whole film was this Mean Girls Mamma Mia hybrid, and the whole film was just Muriel uh, and Rhonda and the Mean Girls on holiday at this island, like, getting back at each other, going back and forth, then the film would be a 10 out of 10, but it isn't, so 7 out of 10. <laughs> All right. Well, but thank you for listening. Thank you very much. Oh, oh thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.